All right. This episode, we have Tommy Miles. He was at the PJ Rodin reunion with us. Him and his wife came in and uh, his service dog, questionable whether or not it was a service dog, <laughs> but very adorable to say the least. Uh, Tommy was the oldest PJ at the reunion. He 86. Yeah, 86 years old, still spry. Yeah, I mean, long story short, pretty incredible. Basically, aircraft crash, and he he fell nearly 200 feet. Insane story. Um, it, it was pretty touching to talk to his wife. They were up in the air whether they wanted to come to, re- to the reunion. They've been to every single one since the beginning, but uh, something that they were debating whether it was something worth doing. Yeah, but- with, with the older generation, they kind of have said, like, I would love to go, but I don't really know anyone, and... It was really great that he, he was there and opened up. He had a great time at the reunion, though. It was touching. She she just really appreciated that we got a ch- chance to sit down and ask him some questions and get his story documented. Great. Enjoy. Tommy Miles, we appreciate you coming on. No problem. No problem. So, yeah. Andrew Lucero, Nick Adagio. I gotcha. Yep. Good guys. And uh, so... From the start of the reunion, we were kind of spreading the word that we we're trying to archive as much history as we could while we we're here, uh, great, using great. this you know media company and and just taking advantage of everyone being in one place at one time. And Good. there seemed to be a reoccurring theme that everyone said you got to record Tommy Miles. Well, he's, like, he's tough as nails, and he was like our generation's badass. So well, we're I, glad that you got to sit down with us. I'm not as good as I once was, but still as good looking though. And, well, I've, I've really tried to keep myself together after my event in Southeast Asia. Right. It was a, a short and sweet, but uh, I lost a crew that we'd been together for a while. We were integrated. We run around together. Um, there were commissioned officers, pilot and co-pilot, and an engineer and a couple of PJs that, that was uh, part of our mission. And uh, everybody used to t- say, uh, why? And our training was fighting not fighting and we uh did a really good job with that our attrition rate was for all the years that that vietnam war was going on was pretty small considering what we did and what we recovered it was a it was an exciting career and i stayed in over 20 years i was not a pararescue in my whole career but i started out in 1961 and i finally got into a class and Finally graduated uh, in in the class uh, number sixty seven two with a bunch of great guys that I will never ever forget about. I think we're um, if we can call it uh, love one another. It's it's more than just liking somebody. It's it's kind of an emotional, physical, mental. Uh, I guess I have to call it a condition when we see each other. Because we just, we don't go nuts over it, you know, and n- nothing but hugging and good to see you and, and their wives the same way. The, the wives seem to have picked up from us what we have given each of us pararescuemen. So it's been pretty exciting. I'll tell you that for sure. How many uh, reunions have you been to? Uh, let's see. Ever since they started, I had, I was hurt pretty bad when I come out of Southeast Asia from Vietnam after a helicopter event. Uh, I might have missed one or two because I was hospitalized for oh just a little over two years at uh, Lackland, uh, big U- United States Air Force hospital there. The people in 
the staff of that hospital never thought I'd be able to leave, but I did. <laughs> and um, I missed a couple of promotion cycles, and I've complained about that, but there's nothing they could do about it because they couldn't go back and, and test me for that particular time period. So um, that's okay. I'm pretty happy with what I got. And, so let's, uh, go, let's go back to that. Uh, can you talk about the events leading up to that mission where sure. you had your injury? We were um, a crew that were on alert, ready to go, about every two days. There was a, a day off for training or whatever. The most important part of a pararescue mission is training. These uh, crew members, other crew members that I was with and stationed with in uh, Utapal, Thailand, um, we did a number of local things, but we were mostly concerned with air crew recovery and safety. And so we were on alert when with B-52s and uh, air refueler uh, KC-135s. And um, we had a couple of good mission local base, but nothing that you could really uh, record, so to speak. And uh, I had been in a unit at... Uh, the Trang, Vietnam, and when they decided to move us to Thailand, this was in uh, beginning of 1969. I had gotten there. This was my second tour, I think, to Southeast Asia to Vietnam. And um, we were at Nha Trang, and then they moved us, and that's where our event happened at, at Utapal, Thailand. But we got combat time for that short mission we had because of the support we were giving to the uh, B-52 squadron that uh, the airplane that the accident happened to was the one we were trying to find one of the crew members that they told us was missing. So when we got close to the uh, aborted bombing mission, it was already burning, fully loaded with armament, and we were uh, told that they had recovered the crew member that we were looking for. Well, when that happened, the airplane, we, we had a, a cook-off time for the armament from the tower, but they, short, they shorted our, our mission because the airplane on the ground blew up when we were over the, we were at the six o'clock position uh, of the uh, event. But the, the bomber blew up with a couple of their armament bombs going off, and it knocked our rotor blades off, and we went upside down and kicked me. It, the blast kicked me out of the back end of our 43, and uh, I went, through, went to the ground. That's where most of my injuries were from compact with the, the ground, I guess. So, so to, to get it straight, you were supporting a B-52 mission. mission. Right. That's right. They were the B-52 crashed. And the B-52 aborted and was off the, the, the side of the runway. Okay, yep. And um, when we got there, it was already uh, burning. And, and, and ordnance was exploding because it was on fire. Well, it, the ordnance didn't explode until we got real close to it. Because mm -hmm. the tower had given us a cook-off time for the armament mm -hmm. that they had computed, but it was a little short. Mm. And uh, when we got too close, and and the the bombs went off, and it uh, it it killed everybody, all the crew except me, because I got knocked out the back end of the helicopter, and went in through the trees, and that's where most of my injuries, except my lungs, I got. Uh, 
lung damage from the explosion that blew me out of the aircraft. How high were you when you? I, I'm not sure. Um, probably in the area of 100, 200 feet uh, altitude, and probably maybe a little lower when they when the, when the explosion blew me out the back end of the helicopter because we didn't have we had a a cargo net to uh, keep people from falling out of the airplane, but. Something like that event uh, didn't slow me down one bit, and I went through, went under or through the the cargo net and went to the ground. And ap- apparently, I went through some trees there because I really, get, I had a couple a couple of good good injuries. Um, it broke, I think it broke both of my legs because I had uh, some problems uh, recuperating when I finally woke up from the concussion that I received, uh, head damage. Uh, they call it now a uh, traumatic brain injury. And I was uh, unconscious for a number of weeks and finally uh, come around and found that I was injured pretty bad, but they were taking good care of me. And I stayed there, oh, a little over two years at Lackland. They knew me. I thought that was permanent party, but I wasn't. So, <laughs> so how many bones were broken? I'm not sure. I had a lot of facial damage because I think I ate my helmet. Uh, mm. Took a big bite out of it anyway, I was told. And uh, I had a compound fracture of my left femur, the big bone in your in your leg, the upper bone, and I had uh, avulsed tendons on my right uh, with a uh, broken tibia fibia. And um, my left arm or I think it was my left arm was broken and uh, I had to recover from that plus uh, I had uh, chest injury and they had uh, when they finally found me on the ground another pararescue and Russell Lichnowski found me and uh, and uh, put an airway in me and uh, then the casualty staging team um, changed that uh, airway to a, a trach mm. and uh, I had a, a tracheal stent put in after I got to Lackland, because my breathing was really uh, compromised. And I kept that trach for six years and had an um, interventional pulmonologist named Dr. Scott Ferguson. We're, we're really close buddies because he treated me for six years at the University of Wisconsin. And um, that was before I, I, I retired with a few physical problems, but my mental attitude stayed pretty much as I was trained, and uh, that training's probably what really saved my life, that my attitude, uh, mental and physical, is probably what really changed my life because I I stayed in pararescue. I had a waiver from our uh, flight surgeon that kind of allowed me to do my duty except for parachuting and, and scuba work. But even after that, I kept pushing for full pararescue duty, and I finally got that. And I finally uh, I went to the school at Eglin Air Force Base and taught pararescue students how to be a pararescueman. And that was very interesting because some of the students that came to us from basic training were uh, pretty good smart, pretty much in shape, but we conditioned them even further with our uh, our tra- training programs. So we uh, we graduated a number of really almost as good as us pararescuemen, <laughs> but we had more experience than, That's the spirit. than they yeah. did. But they, most of them, 
that was in the classes that I helped with stayed as career pararescuemen. And that always makes me feel good that we had given them such an attitude about the job and the mission that I felt really good about that, really, really good. And that's, uh, that's about my story. So as an instructor and even now, like taking this opportunity to speak with future and, and younger PJs, what lessons would you try to instill in them? Try to maintain a good, positive mental and physical attitude in, no, in whatever you're confronted with. Because many times, even in my experiences, I have asked myself, what are you really doing in this situation? Because it was a strain, not only medically, but also personal feeling about your patient, your client, whatever you're taking care of, even someone who was not really bleeding much, but their, their mental attitude was a shaky. And you had to realize almost immediately that you had a problem. But thank the Lord, we didn't have that many I would call them nuts, but they're not really, who am I? I'm not a doctor. And you just had to settle them down and make sure that they were doing okay. I had one experience where I had trouble speaking to this guy when we got him on the airplane. And then afterwards, it was just like he had had a bad dream because that's what his flight surgeon had said to us, to our team. This guy is little a bit unstable right now. He's a well-trained pilot, but this situation he had never been confronted with. He's trying to maintain and save him. He, he, he's a survivor, right? It was, a, it was, a, it was a, a good experience. It taught me how to stay mentally stable under just about any condition. And I'm not as mentally stable as, as I probably was when I was in my career field. But I feel pretty good about it. I've had uh, enough treatments through the VA and the locals that uh, I feel pretty good. And I'm, I'm still very proud of, of what we do, what we did, and what we will do. Because some of these guys coming out of school now are extremely, extremely trained for what our mission requires. And that's really one good thing when you see these new guys that or some of the guys that weren't, are no longer newbies, see how great they look, because they're here now. There's a lot of them here. And I feel very proud of what we, I say we, because it's not just Tom that did all this. And that makes me feel really proud to be able to say that, that we're PJs, that we're, yeah. that we're pararescuemen. It, it's probably gonna be, as, be there as long as I live. Oh, yeah, and, it will uh, be. I'm 86 right now, but um, a lot of people don't believe that I'm 86, and when they see my wife and she's 86, they don't believe that we're 86, <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> We've tried to maintain a, a good physical and mental attitude in our life, in our lives. We've been married 40-some um, years. We've been married before, both my wife and I, but not the same as we have now it's it's a completely different environment for both of us because we we still maintain a very strong love for each other and that mm -hmm. that's really what counts guys that's really what, what yeah that's and i think 
that's uh, that's one thing that we like to you know hit on in these interviews is sure. obviously the missions are important, like the pipeline, talking about the the mindset, but also a major aspect of the the Parisi community is that that spouse and uh, that support system. So, what do you think for you in 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 your relationship has been like the the thing that's kept you guys together and so so strong? Well, I think I think it started out as a nucleus, a, a small part of our relationship was the way my wife Carol treated me, but also in return I treated her. Now we've had our problems, okay, as any married couple does. We've had kept our faith in our God, which has helped us tremendously, and we've had we kept our faith in each other that has done the other 10%. <laughs> we, uh, we enjoy each other. We're very seldom apart. Now she's my caregiver, and she's getting a stipend through the VA for being my caregiver. And I guess that doesn't really tell us much, except that we've both had good experiences together, and we've traveled everywhere that we've wanted to travel and still stayed in love. <laughs> we went, we went, um, Carol has went 30 years to Vietnam on a, um, a Christian sort of mission where we teach basic nursing and CPR. We've made very, very good relationship with some of the Vietnamese. Matter of fact, we just got back from, in March, we were over there for a month and didn't have to do any cooking or, or uh, spending uh, money for food because they took care of us. Really, how many people we have touched in our careers over the thir this 30-year period, we don't know how many people we've, we've touched or, or, or given uh, help to. It's, it's just about impossible. But we um, enjoyed it. Yeah. And that was probably one of the blessings to be able to enjoy what mission you have committed to these people who were in essence our enemies. But they, it's not, that's not the way it is. It um, makes us both feel very, very good. Yeah, I definitely and, uh, see that. Yeah, she's sitting here also and just yeah, enjoying well, it. She's over there someplace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's got a few comments, but <laughs> we'll, 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 you'll hear about them after this is over with. It's a... Uh, uh, I had a question. Sure. Uh, I think it's great to hear about your personal life, your faith, and, and everything. I, um, were there anything, were there any stories that you have prior to your incident in Vietnam, like any rescues that you would, that you'd been on that you would like to share with us? Well, I was teamed up with a, another pararescueman named John Dagnow. We were on a, uh, a peacetime team at um, Pease Air Force Base that is now closed, I think. Anyway, we had a jump mission that was ended in total disaster because they didn't really know if there were going to be any survivors on this uh, guide fisherman mission in Canada. And we discovered that they were expired. We had to take them out of the airplane that was in the woods. It had hit their uh, pontoons on the trees coming off the lake. And we finally, um, the Canadians were instrumental in the search, but we finally concluded the perch with John and I jumping into the crash site and finding the remains. That was our first jump mission. We were 
both kind of saddened about the outcome, but that's part of the mental attitude that you have to maintain if you're going to be a good PJ. There's always that possibility that your survivors that you're trying to find or recover are not going to be alive. It's always one of the, that's just like going into combat. You might always remember that you might get into some very, very deep stuff that you might have hesitation, but the hesitation quickly goes away and you concentrate upon the target that you need to recover or save or give medical care to. Yeah, I agree that it is sad when there is uh, a patient that has um, lost their life, but right. it is equally as important to return them to their families to yeah, you, help with the grieving process. You've got to have that as part of your personality. You, you can't be too overcome because you won't be able to do your work. And you can't be too uncaring to do a good job. So you have to meet someplace in between there where you can maintain a good, solid attitude about what your job really is. Mm -hmm. And it always makes you feel good to know that you saved somebody. I've, uh, I've had a couple of missions in the, in the Jollies, the H3, where after it's all over with and you see the patient doing well, you feel a lot better about yourself and about the team that was with you. The pilot, co-pilot engineer, and your your other pararescuemen who was with you, helping you save this person or persons, or picking up a piece of equipment that the government really wanted back, <laughs> then you feel pretty good about that mission too. It's, it's a combination of people, an air crew, working together in harmony with the same kind of expectations that you would like to see happen. And if that all falls apart, then your whole air crew feels kind of, geez, what can we do to make this not happen again? And you take certain aspects of that particular failure into consideration of what we can do if this ever looks like it's going to happen again. And you change your attitudes and your rules and regulations of, of doing the mission that is written on paper. And it makes a difference even after you retire. I'm retired, but I still think about that pararescue experience as being part of my great personality. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And looking, looking back at your... Uh... Uh, I put parentheses around <laughs> it, yeah. Uh... Oh, that's great. Well, hey, we really appreciate your time. I, I think our community can learn a lot from you. Well, well I'm glad to hear that. I, I, I'm not a, a great speaker, but I usually am able to, through my thought presses, my thought processing isn't as good as it used to be, but I try to, to stay within the, the language quality. Mm. <laughs> I, know, I know how to cuss too, but... <laughs> I, I try to stay away from that if I can. Yeah, That's yeah. why you're talking and I'm not, because I can't control it. But you, you but, did a great job. Well, thank you very yeah. much. I appreciate yeah. that. You really did. Uh, and thank you for sitting down with us. No problem. I'm excited to see you at the next one. Okay. I'll be excited, too. <laughs> <All right>. Okay. <laughs>